Good evening. I know most of you, but if I don't know you, my name is Will Hall. I serve as one of the elders here at Christ Church Westchester. We're going to be looking at Psalm 100. So if you have your Bibles, this time will be greatly aided if you're following along in a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can find a Bible in one of the chairs, uh, underneath the chairs in front of you. It'll be on page 500 in one of those Bibles. You'll notice Psalm 100 is a rather short psalm, concise, uh, and and we're going to look at it this evening because it is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Word of God. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come to you again and ask for wisdom as we look at your word. We thank you that you have spoken finally and ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that this time would encourage the saints and bring to bear salvation to those here that might not believe in you. May today be the day of salvation. Amen. Uh, in the Hall household, if you don't know, we have three, three children. Our, my oldest is six. Uh, the next one is almost four, three. Uh, and, and then our, our last daughter is one. And we have a lot of conversations about giving thanks. It's either connected to, at the end of the day, praying to the Lord and thinking about why we are thankful and praising God for that. But oftentimes it's, it's giving thanks uh, to, to those to each other as siblings or to our, to our mom or dad in honor for them. So we have a lot of conversations about giving thanks as I prepared for, for this sermon. Ruthie is one. We're just trying to get her to learn how to say thank you. Right? She's starting to get it, and we give her positive reinforcement when, and clap for her when she says thank you when, you when you hand her a bottle. But she has no idea, though, though her lips are professing thanks, she, does, she has no idea what she's truly doing, what it means to give thanks. Our three-year-old, uh, he, he knows how to give thanks. He, knows what, he just forgets when to do it. Like, you know, we're excited when he remembers to, to not just grab from his sister, but to say thank you when she gives him something. And then lastly, our oldest, she's learning. She knows to say thank you. It's just, does she believe it in her heart? Is she actually grateful for what she's been given? And as we have a lot of these lessons and conversations, I've thought a lot about what it means to give thanks whether it's to the Lord or to someone else. We're taking a posture of humility. We, we recognize that I don't deserve the gesture of grace and mercy that you've bestowed upon me. And I want to I say thank you out of gratitude. It's, it's a sign of respect. It's, it's, it's a way to honor. In some ways, it's a way to praise. And to God, it certainly is. Psalm 100 tells us in a superscript, a psalm for giving thanks which would have been there in the original psalm. 
telling us that this is probably a psalm to give thanks. Used in corporate worship, probably in the temple, as we'll see in verse 4. Perhaps even used as people would give their thanksgiving offering at the temple. But it's placed in the collection of psalms post-exile for a specific reason. We're going to see in the, the book, the third book of psalms, there are, are some psalms of lament and some times of, of dark places. And then we turn to, to the fourth book that starts in chapter 90, starting to reflect on God's kingship and praising God for who he is as king and worshiping God. And then we get this concise thanksgiving to the Lord for who he is. Understanding who God is that leads to praise. There are seven exhortations in this short psalm. You'll notice the first three as we read it are actually a reverse in some ways of the last three. Revealing to us that this is probably a Hebrew chiasm. And whenever you're reading a chiasm, you want to look at the, the middle the author is trying to focus your attention to, in this case, the fourth imperative. That's really the crux and engine of the entire psalm. That's why our, my sermon tonight will be led by two points. The first one is this, giving thanks to the Lord for he is God. And my second point, very simple, giving thanks to the Lord for he is good. For he is God, for he is good. Let's look again at verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The psalmist begins with a trio of imperatives, a trio of commands to make a joyful noise, or that can be translated to shout. So to shout, to serve, to come. Using our voices, using our hands in worship, using our whole self to come into his presence. The three actually work together to to paint a picture that the reader is to worship God and give thanks with their whole self and not only their physical body but also their inner self notice the the modifiers we're not just supposed to shout aimlessly we're supposed to make a joyful noise a noise defined by joy we're not to just serve the Lord, but we're supposed to serve the Lord with gladness. Not to just simply come into his presence, but with singing. And not just your mouth, but your soul, as we just sang. The psalmist is, is imploring us to give thanks with our bodies and our hearts. With our voices and our attitudes. With our hands and our souls. The inner self and outer self incongruence praising God for who he is. That's the critique that Jesus gives the Pharisees in Matthew 15 as he quotes Isaiah 29. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. The psalmist is invoking the imagery in Deuteronomy 6.5, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The psalmist wants us to worship God with the inner self and the outer self. Incongruence, which means it's possible to worship God with your lips, but to reject God in the depths of your heart. It is possible to enter into the assembly of God, not with a, a, a singing soul, 
but with a complaining spirit. I wonder how you came into the assembly of God tonight. True thanksgiving engages the body and the heart. So let me ask you, have you been praising God lately because you think you're supposed to? Or because you're overflowing with joy, knowing who God is? Are you serving the Lord and the fellow church members with gladness or with selfishness and bitterness in your heart? Perhaps if you resonate with the negatives instead of the commands that were given, I wonder if we don't truly know the Lord or perhaps, believer, you have forgotten. Because the, the climax of the three commands goes into the fourth command, the fourth imperative, the middle of the chiasm. Know that the Lord, he is God, verse three. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist commands us to know or to acknowledge or to confess or to learn that the Lord, that Yahweh, the God who revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3 and said, I am Yahweh. Go tell the people that you're my people that you're going to set free that my name is Yahweh, the Lord. That Lord, he is God. He sits above every God. There is no other God. There is only one God reigning. There's a trope uh, in, in, in classic TV shows of, of the, the neighborhood bully who would come up to the, the, the kid that maybe is, can't defend himself. And at some point, the kid being picked on says, you can't touch me because my dad can beat up your dad. They even made a show about that in the early 2000s. It wasn't very good, but that's besides the point. The, great, the reason that we can stand and worship God because we know that Yahweh is God. It's because our God is God. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. That's the idea that, that Paul has in Romans 8. When he says in verse 32, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Because our God is God, we have nothing to fear. Nothing that the world can throw at us can touch us. And therefore, we can praise God. Because Yahweh, the Lord, is God. It's not only that our God is God. God is our God. Look at the next part. I know that was confusing. Our God is God, and God is our God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist starts by saying Yahweh is God. And then he reminds us, this is the God who created everything. He created the mountains and the oceans, the galaxies and the stars. And he made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the intricacies of your personality your deepest longings. And like a good shepherd, he's calling you into his flock. And because our God is God, and God is our God, he's calling us like a good shepherd. We have nothing to fear. 
like a good shepherd who protects his sheep and leads us to praise. How can the good shepherd call us to be a part of his flock when Isaiah 53, 6 tells us, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Because of our sin, because of our iniquity, we have rejected God. We have turned away. We like sheep have run off. But God in his kindness and in his love came to us, God incarnate, the good shepherd, and calls us home and laid down his life, he says in John 10. He gave up his life on the cross that we might have eternal life in him. And he implores you to come. That you might call him your God and know him. Know him deeply as your king and as your Lord. And that's the engine that leads the psalmist to say, praise him with your heart and all of yourself. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is God. Secondly, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. Notice the reversal. The first three commands were shout, serve, come, Now he says, enter, same Hebrew word, come, enter, give thanks, and bless his name. Bless his name being being a praise, an audible praise corporately to the Lord, which would be the reversal of shout. That's why we know to look at at verse 3, the engine, to know the Lord. He then expounds, not to just know that the Lord is God, but that Yahweh is good. One commentator described God's goodness this way. And I'm going to read it because I I really liked how they said it. Here it is. He is not evil. He is not self-centered. He is not unjust or unhinged or unwise or unreliable. He is good. He is the judge of what is good and what is not. He is the source of all goodness. He is goodness Itself. Without the Lord, we have no hope for goodness in this life and in the next. We can praise him because he is good. And then the psalmist expounds. What does it mean that God is good? His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. He looks back to Exodus 34. When God remakes the the tablets of the Ten Commandments. The grounds for the covenant that he's engaging in with his people. He had already, Moses already brought them once, but the people worshiped a cattle instead. God, in his forgiveness, offers a second time. Listen to the language in chapter 34 of Exodus. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The psalmist is saying, do not give up hope. Do not lose your reason to praise God. 
Look, God was faithful in Exodus 34 when the people did not deserve it. Look for it. He will be faithful. He will come through on those promises that he made. See, he, he looks back in the first, uh, the first exhortation of knowing the Lord. At, at the Lord is God. He's the creator. And then he looks forward. He is your redeemer. And he will come through on his promises. You can continue to worship him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Into eternity, when he makes all things right, and our souls will sing for the rest of eternity, a thousand years and more. We will praise the Lord for he is good. Believer, I wonder what life has thrown at you today. If there are places in life where you're spiritually limping, nobody knows it. If there are circumstances that are seeming to cloud the Lord in his goodness. In those moments, we're tempted to lose hope. In those times, we're tempted to offer curses and doubts instead of thanksgiving and praise. Christian brother and sister, refocus your gaze on the Lord. Turn your attention and your affection to him. Remember who he is and that he is good. He has not abandoned you and he won't. He has been faithful to the last generation and he will be faithful to you and to the next. Therefore, praise him and bless him and give thanksgiving to him. For he is good. I just have a few points of application. The first is this. I forgot to point it out. But in the first verse, this, this command to make a joyful noise is to all the earth, not just the Israelites, but to the Gentiles. It's almost calling back to when God created Adam and Eve and said, fill the earth, multiply, multiply and be fruitful, spread image bearers throughout the world proclaiming God. This psalmist is saying to the Israelites, there should be the Gentiles here. We should be worshiping him together. My application to you is not to forget the opportunity to invite non-believers into the assembly of God. The psalmist wasn't afraid that, that people who do not believe in Yahweh would be present and hear the gospel and, and give their lives to the Lord, turn to him. Let's not forget that. Let's have eyes to see people around us that got us placed to invite into the assembly of God. A second application. The, the psalmist doesn't believe in incongruent thanksgiving where your body does one thing on the outer self and, and the inner self in your heart is, is believing something else. I actually think incongruent thanksgiving can be a barometer that something is off in your heart. Because if true thanksgiving comes from truly knowing that the Lord is God and God is good, and I'm going through the motions, I've either forgotten the truth of who God is, or I never believed it in the first place. Either way, believer, look afresh into who God is and remember that he is Lord. Non-believer, turn to him. Stop running the other direction like a sheep. Come to the good shepherd. 
A third application. God's people always have something to give thanks about. Notice that it doesn't say, give thanks to the Lord because you got the promotion you've been praying for. Give thanks to the Lord because you're of good health. Those circumstantial things will come and go. The thanksgiving is rooted in eternal realities. The Lord is God and he is good. Now that doesn't mean that this this psalm means in in your hardest days, just kind of grit your teeth and, and push through. No, there are psalms of lament. But at the same time, in our darkest days, we know that the dawn of Christ is coming. The light of, of Christ will not be overcome. We have much to be grateful for and to worship God. That's why Paul can tell us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Lastly, Let's look for opportunities in our days and in our weeks and in our months to individually and corporately stop and give thanks to the Lord for what he has done, which is why we, one of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as believers, reminding ourselves that what Jesus did, that he died for us and that he is coming again. And like I already said, non-believer, if you think this is a great, this is a great sermon, I don't believe in God, but I do want to walk away and just be thankful for what I've been given. I'll tell you now that in, until we trust in Christ and he gives us a new heart, we don't have the ability to be grateful. We might say it with our mouths, but like my one-year-old, we will never truly be able to give thanks and sing in our soul. Turn to Christ, that the spirit might move into your heart, that you might be a new creation, be born again. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, we have much to be thankful for. And the engine of worship is knowing you. Knowing who you are, but also knowing you deeply in our hearts. Personally, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our God. That we have nothing to fear because our God is God. We can replace fear with worship and praise and thanksgiving in all circumstances. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Amen.